Good evening. Before we get started, let's have a quick word of prayer and have the Lord to bless this service. Father God, it's always good to come into your house, Lord, and it's good to take a moment just to brag on you, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, and the things that you've been doing in my life. And Lord, just as we come before you right now, I just humbly ask that you would just, lots of distractions in this world, Lord, that uh, cause us just to take our eyes off you and just to... So they're just distractions, Father. Help us, Lord, just to focus upon you, Lord, and just for the next few moments, Lord, just to listen to that still, small voice. Father, as you speak words of encouragement, Lord, my humblest desire right now is to be your voice, that you would speak to their hearts through me. Father, I just ask that you just watch over us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My desire tonight is to be just that, to speak some words of encouragement as we go through life. Um, I will just tell you just kind of where I'm at right now as far as for myself. I am like in the, this far from graduating nursing school. Um, been uh, ready to get out. Uh, been doing a lot of, uh, on the COVID clinics, doing a lot of the shots. Had a lot of practice. Um, just, just being very, very, very busy. I've taken my 88th test this past week. They average about 25 hours to 30 hours of studying for each one. So 88, I, I'm even afraid to do the math to how much time I've spent in my nose in a book. But I'm just about ready to get out. I start my med surge uh, next uh, week, probably looks like, down at Wagner County Hospital in the med surge floor. I'll be doing that, then after I finish up that, then I will be cut loose, and then I take my state board test, and then I will be a full-fledged nurse. So I'm looking forward to that. So been a long rough, been long, been long and tough road, but it's been worth it. But God's been there, and He has encouraged, and uh, He's been able to allow me to do things that I never thought I would be able to do, and doing you know the stuff that I've been doing, like medication administration and blood draws and all of that stuff. But uh, uh, I still take it one day at a time. But God has been so faithful and so good to, to He's never left me. I want to speak some words of encouragement tonight, as far as just. Uh, to listen to our Heavenly Father and just the words that He has through His, his, his written and His spoken word, um, just, just, just the difference words of encouragement from the Father can mean. When I was with the Tulsa Police Department, we had a, a guy that I worked with. He was one of my squad mates, and he wanted to go shooting with his son because his son always wanted to go out shooting. He never shot before. He wanted to shoot his dad's service revolver, and he was about 15, 16 years old, big enough kid to go do it. So his dad took him out there, and I set this target up about 10 yards away, it was three foot wide by two foot tall. It was a big, like a human silhouette. And the kid got 10 foot, he was 10, about 10 yards away from it. And he said it was the first time he ever shot. And his first time he fired his six rounds, he was all over the place. He was shooting high and shooting low. And I mean, he was shooting clouds and killing worms. And he was all over the place. But you know what? His dad just lovingly sat back and just gave him a little bit of a guise. Watch your grip, son. Slow down a little bit. Spoke very calming, reassuring words to him. He put another six more rounds in that gun, and he fired some more. And this time, he put a couple more on target. And Dad said, son, that's good shooting, but now let's try to work on just, just a little bit more. And son gave him some more advice, and he started with a full box of shells. There's 50 rounds in it. Gave him, loaded him up some more, six more rounds, and he was firing. He was listening to his dad's advice. And dad was calm and he was very patient with him. And now he started getting some hits. And by the time he was done at the end of the box, this kid was putting them all center mass. All because his dad spoke words of encouragement to him. Lovingly guided him and directed him on his errors and he corrected him on this. Because the first time I saw it, I said, this kid couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. But yet, 
I sit there and I saw just the encouragement, what it will do, you know, to, to his son. He went from couldn't shoot to he was very good with just with a little bit of guidance. And I want to give a little bit of guidance and some words of encouragement about something that we all deal with um, tonight. Um, it's something that affects a lot of people. I know it affects myself that I deal with and that I wrestle with. Um, but it has to do with as far as what our life is all about. But there's one big problem that we all face. And if you ever basically want to ask, like, what is the Christian life pretty much summed up in? I think it's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1. And it says this. It compares the Christian life to running a race. It says this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that has set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Basically, we have it's, the Christian walk is referred to as it's a race. And when we run a race, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. And if you'll notice that there are several times in here it mentions about weights. And it mentions stuff about being held down. And because you can't run effectively when you have... Um, when you're in bondage, and basically that's what it's look, talking about is as far as in being in bondage. One of the biggest problems that we have, if you turn the slide on, please, the first one. Um, basically, it's a thief that we all have to deal with. Um, whenever I think of thieves, um, I always think of this guy. He is a classic textbook. I don't know if you know who this guy is, but his name was William Frank Sutton. They called him Willie the Actor. He was one of the first bank robbers of all times to go out and start using disguises. He was so good at robbing banks in the 1950s, he robbed banks of over $2 million. Um, he was extremely effective at robbing banks. He was one of these guys that he would sit there and he would use disguises. They called him Slick Willie. Willie the Actor, he had all kinds of disguises that he would use when he would rob before he'd go rob a bank he would put on multiple layers of clothes he would put pegs underneath his shoes he'd put dye in his hair and what would happen is whenever he'd go rob a bank as soon as he would leave the scene then he would go out he'd kick the pegs off from his, his shoes so he'd look smaller he'd kick the layers of clothes off so he looked like he'd lose weight he'd get the hair color out of his of his hair so the police would be looking someone that was taller heavier set and he was really good at his disguises. He would dress up as janitors. He would dress up as a cop. He would put all kinds of disguises, and he was extremely effective at robbing banks. Um, and he was an extremely crafty thief, and he could steal just, just so effective at robbing his banks. The FBI was looking for him. State police were looking for him. Nobody could find this guy, but he had one downfall. He was cheap. Um, his cheapness is what, what caught him in the end. Basically, nobody had a clue where he was at, but he had car problems and Batterino's car messed up, and he could have had, could have called, he called down a, to a, a garage to get someone to fix his, his battery, and they said, yeah, we can be right there and fix it right up, and in a matter of a few minutes, won't be no big deal, but it'll cost you 2 or $3. And he said, I'm not going to pay that. I'll take care of it myself. So Sutton goes out there and tinkers with the battery, and in the process, it gets apprehended because people recognize him. Wouldn't spend a couple bucks, but when they arrested him, he made over $7,000 cash on him. The thing is, Sutton was a great thief. He knew how to go out and steal, and he could do all kinds of these things to go out there, and, and that's what he was. He was an extremely crafty thief. 
He had a horrible past, obviously, with you know being a bank robber. But he was able to use that that his his past, and he reformed himself. And his past, he was able to sit there and use it for good. If you'll see him now, as he's aged, he was actually hired as a security consultant later on in life, and he actually got to selling and endorsing credit cards, of all things, for banking institutions. So he was able to turn his life around. That bad past, he was able to, to correct it and to return it around for good. That thief that's even worse and even more subtle and craftier than William Sutton, there's a thief that's even more crafty that wants to kill, steal, and destroy and destroy, and he wants to steal something from each and every one of us, and that's Satan. And one of the biggest tactics that he uses to steal from you, to steal you from your joy, to steal you from your ambitions, to steal you from your goals, is your past. I don't know about each and every one of you in here, but you don't have to be on this earth a long time to realize you're going to have a past. It's part of being human. It's part of being a sinner. We all stumble. We all fall. We all make mistakes. So we all have issues with our past, and Satan will use that that's his thief. He will sit there and use your past and my past to steal from us, to rob from us our joy of serving Christ. Because how many times we sit there and get ideas of going out and doing things for Christ or the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden Satan throws a past at that thief. God can't use you. God can't forgive you. Look at what you did. Look at what you were involved in. Well, you've got a criminal record. You've been divorced. Why? God can't use you. You're no good. You're, you're too dirty. You're too far gone. God can't use you whatsoever. You're hopeless. And he'll use that past to steal the joy of serving Christ because the greatest joys in life is when you're, when you're ministering for the Lord, doing the kingdom's work. And he will use that past to keep you from serving the Lord, to steal from you. So our past is a thief that we have to deal with much more craftier than Sutton and Satan will use um, our past. He'll use our past to keep us from serving Christ. Satan will use our past just like bondage and weights to slow us down and to hinder us because he knows if he can sit there and bring up all of our past and dump it upon us, he knows we're not going to be able to run the race effectively. And he also knows this, when we're running the race... If you're looking at your past, guess what? You're not going to be running a fast because to run the race, you need to be running forward, eyes forward, not looking back at the things that you've done or been involved in because we need to understand. And later on, we're looking at where our past is. It's, it's been forgiven. In other words, for you to, the word I want to speak as far as encouragement-wise is if you and I are to move forward in our spiritual walk, is we have to address our past. Because if we don't address our past, Satan will keep bringing it up. How does Christ reveal your sinful past? John chapter 8, a very, very familiar passage. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. I always tell my kids in my Sunday school class, I don't want you, when you read any Bible story, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, I want you to do this. Just don't read the story just to be reading the story. You have five senses. I want you to put yourself there at the scene. When I was a detective, that's how we had to, to gather evidence. We had to put ourselves literally at the scene when we were listening to all this stuff. That's how you gain a lot of information. You get a whole lot more insight whenever you put yourself at the scene. When you do this, as far as with the Bible stories, it makes the Word of God come alive. For one, 
you have five senses, but it just really just, uh, it takes up your, your, your insight a, a great deal. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. I want you to put yourself there uh, as we read this story. Um, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, it says this. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. When you're there, what are you seeing, what are you hearing, what are you feeling? Right now, basically, this is early morning in the temple, and it is rush hour. There are a whole lot of people. There are probably thousands of people walking around the streets, conducting business. They're doing things in and out of the temple. The temple is very, 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 very packed. I mean, there are hundreds and probably even thousands of people in a very close, tight proximity of what's taking place here. We know that Jesus was a celebrity. Um, when you cast out demons, when you raise the dead, and you give sight to the blind and speech to the dumb, and you make the lame walk, guess what happens? Word gets out real quick. And he had people follow him everywhere he went. And when you feed multitudes, um, he, had, he had quite a following that went with him. So here he is. He's, getting, he's sitting down in the temple to teach. Also something has taken place while this is going on. Um, there's a woman that's in the act of adultery. Somewhere, we don't know where, but she's in the act of adultery with another person. In verse 3, it says this. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Here the thing is, here she was, they were gonna, she's going to have an encounter with the living God. And she's going to be face to face with him and her past and all her sins are going to be coming to light here. Here she is. All of a sudden, this angry mob comes and they snatch her and they take her into the temple. More than likely, she was probably either nude or partially clothed because they want to prove a case of adultery. More than likely, my two cents, I think she was probably set up. And the reason being is this, they only brought... According to my Rob this morning, it takes two. And they only brought the female for adultery. Um, where's the guy? I think truth of the matter is, I think this was probably a set-up deal. She was probably a prostitute of some type. And they probably um, went in there and they set this thing up so they could get the evidence on her, uh, have a good case to, to present before Christ. Could you imagine here you are naked or partially clothed and all of a sudden you're brought in and amongst all these people... Your guilt and your shame. You know, guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame is, I am something wrong. Here, all of this is upon her right now. And they set her in the midst. When Jesus was teaching, whenever people would talk about Jesus was teaching, I imagine you could hear a pin drop because people would talk about, he's, he teaches like nobody else. He has power and he has authority. He's not like the scribes. There's something, I can imagine there was a pin drop. And all of a sudden this commotion comes in there when they drag this woman in here, partially clothed, and they throw her at the feet of Christ. Her world radically changed. Teacher, this woman, they don't even call her by name, this woman. This is human trash. This is human garbage. This woman. How impersonal can you get? This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something to which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear when I went to, uh, to be a detective, uh, that 
The city of Tulsa puts everybody through the Reed School of Interviewing and Interrogation. Um, it's an international school. It's big, it's big to do. Um, you learn about reading nonverbal communication and verbal communication. Um, and what is the most powerful and what is the most truest statements that you can get between Matter of fact, we'll look right here. Jesus preaches the very most powerful message I think he probably preached right here in this section. In verse 6, it says this. This they said, testing him, that he might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Jesus spoke something very powerful. I'll read it again. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. You say, but he didn't say anything. Oh, yeah, he did. He said a whole lot. He said a whole, whole lot. Between verbal communication and nonverbal communication, I'll take nonverbal any day because anytime any verbal communication goes out, your mouth, what does it first do? It has to get processed through your brain. And sometimes you get watered down, adulterated a little bit. Um, but your nonverbal communication, that's the real you. That is the real you. And whenever you get someone's verbal communication says something, and their nonverbal communication says something, and they're both going the same way, that is a double whammy, ultra-true statement what you're getting for. Whenever I was interviewing people and interrogating them, that's what I was looking for. Did their verbal match up with their nonverbal? And clearly you're going to see that here that it does. Could you imagine if you was to come up to me, that nonverbal communication, if I was standing right here and you come up to me and you started telling me about your day, and if I stand right here, what does that mean? I care about what you have to say, right? Because what you say, it, it matters to me. It's important to me. But if I sit there and stoop down, and I start drawing on the ground, and here you're trying to talk to me, what does that say? I don't care. I flat don't care what you have to say. It matters that much to me. And what are they talking about? These people are sitting there trying to bring up her sinful past. Jesus knows all about it, but he says, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Her past means that much to me. That much to me. You're more worried about it than I am. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself and said to them, He who is without sin amongst you, let him throw a stone at her first. I could just hear the crickets chirping. Because, I mean, it is dead quiet in there right now. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convinced by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Whoa, wait a minute. What was the woman doing first? She was sitting. Now what is she doing? She's standing. There's a lot of difference. She's standing because she's been restored. She's standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. She recognized who he was. She called him Lord. When she recognized, she, here she was face to face with um, the creator of the universe. She, ver, she referred to him as Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Sometimes we kind of wonder as we go through life um, why bad things happen. Keep in mind, this woman was committing a sinful act. 
Had she would have stayed where she was at in her life, more than likely she probably would have just continued remaining on the same path that her life was going, and she more than likely would have spent an eternity in hell. But that crowd that went in there and seized her and drug her out in the long term and the stakes of eternity brought her face to face with Christ. And it forced her to make it, it forced her to get right. So sometimes we may not understand why bad things happen and some of all stuff here, but in her long run, I guarantee that woman to this day was eternally grateful that that crowd drug her out and brought her to Christ because, um, because she was converted as a result. Our past can be a ball and chain if it's not addressed. Um, this ball and chain... Leavenworth Penitentiary. Basically what this would is... Actually, I use this for children's ministry on Wednesday nights. Um, no, just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. Joke. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't go any further than this. This was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring it back to you. But yeah, this basically is as far as what happened would do it. You could shackle it between the two legs. And the thing is, as far as... It served a couple of purposes. One, it would drag you down. If you were to walk, it would, it would drag. This thing's roughly about 25 pounds. And you could, if you was to move around, it would snag up. And it was designed to snag up on stuff so you couldn't take off and run. Um, it was designed to impede your uh, mobility, to slow you down. Um, that's what it was designed to do. It also has a handle, so if I do have to pick up, like if I was on a chain gang, or if I was going somewhere and I had to pick it up, move it around, it does have a handle. And you could put this thing and you could carry it wherever you went. Um, and the whole thing is, this is a shackle, this is a bondage. Um, this is what the enemy wants to do to you and I. I mean, he wants to sit there and he wants to sit there and shackle us and, and bond us. Because if he knows that he can sit there and get us bound, guess what? Our whole goal is, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse run is to run the race. You can't run the race with this. You can't run the race if you're worried about your past. You cannot run the race in bondage. You've got to be free. You've got to stay focused. You've got to break the chains, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. The enemy wants to put us in bondage. You have got to be free have free movement to be able to move and to run properly and to run effectively. I was at 61st in Peoria about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I saw this guy, and he was just higher than a hippie in a helicopter. I mean, he was tore up. And I sat there, and I was talking to him, and I knew I was going to take him to jail because, I mean, I, he, was just, he was just, he was gone. He was, he was really high. 3 o'clock in the morning, he's bigger than me. And because most of the people I encountered that were bigger than me, I always had to be smart about the way I sit there and I place them under arrest. I never, ever, ever, ever once said, I'm going to put you in handcuffs, you're under arrest. I didn't say that. I would always, especially when I was dealing with drunks and people that were high, because whenever you tell someone, I'm going to put you in handcuffs, there's only one of three options they can do. One's good, two are bad. One of them is they can comply, and they can turn around and give you your hands. Or they can run or they can fight. So I always had to come, I came up with my own field sobriety test because I was generally working alone and it was usually dark, so I had to sit there. I would rather, I can talk longer than I can fight. So my thing was, that's just what I tried to do, was use my head 
uh, instead of brawn. I would tell people, as, as far as your hands, I said, I need you to do this. I need you to turn your hands upside down, invert them like that. And of course, they can do this. People that are under the influence that are really, really high, they have what's called delayed sensory response. You tell them to do something, there's about a one second delay before they can do it because they've all this, uh, the chemicals I've got, they're high. So I have them after do that one. It's a good job. You're doing a good job. We're just about done. So now I want you to do is this. I want you to take your hands and push them together. And if you can hold them like that. Can you do that for me? Beautiful. You're doing a good job. Now what I want you to do is this. Can you do it one more time for me? I want you to sit there and turn like this. Great. Now can you take your hands again and maybe raise them? Man, you're doing a good job. Wonderful job. Now can you take your hands and do that behind your back like this? Guess what this is? Click, click. I would always have my handcuffs in my hand while sitting there talking to them. They wouldn't see them. I have them palmed. And as soon as they did that to me and they presented, it was, I just click, click. It was really fast. Well, anyway, I had this one guy. I sit there and I had him turn around. You need your hands and your arms. You've got to be free. So I sit there and I got him in there and I got click, click on him and he took off. And I didn't know it, but this guy took off running. I mean, he was running fast. I'm not talking just fast, fast. He was running like he had to poop. I mean, this guy took off running super fast. And before I could get up to him, he turned around, broke loose. I took my pepper spray, and I sit there. And pepper spray, if you don't know it, there's, they take cayenne peppers. And they sit there, and they smash it. And they take there's a burning oil called oleo resin capsaicin in it. And they take that just the burning oil part. And they put it in these little bit of cans that we would use, and they pressurize it. And it's designed to spray. And what happens is it empties it super fast. And I mean, like that. And then the whole can's gone. I mean, you you can put an ounce just on that fast. Well, I had it in my hand when he turned around, but he turned and but it's got a, a bright fluorescent dye in it. So in case somebody ever gets sprayed, you can identify him that in a lineup or whatever it may be. He encountered the police, and it was an unfavorable encounter, and he got sprayed. Bright fluorescent orange. So anyway, if you spray somebody with it, the whole mindset is it's extremely irritating to the face um, and to the nose. What happens is it shuts your eyes because you can't see. Well, now if I can't see, guess what happened? I, I'm not as good as in a fight. I can't run as well. It also is so irritating to the, to the sinuses and to the lungs it causes your entire sinus cavity and all your mucus to sit there and just flush. I mean, it is the ultimate nasal decongestant that I've ever come across. I mean, it will clear your sinuses really quick. Well, anyway, my mindset was I'm going to spray this guy before he takes off running. I got my spray, and he was so fast. I sit there, and I hit, got it in the side of his ear, but basically all I did was turn the back of his head orange. So I'm sitting there taking off running after this guy. And I mean, he's fast. And he later found out he ran track for, I think it was Webster or East Central High School. Extremely fast. So I'm chasing this guy from the apartment complex. He's got my handcuffs on him. My $80 Smith & Wesson pair of handcuffs on him. If you lose property, that's city-owned property, you have to type an inner office to the chief saying, your property has been, it's missing. So the last thing I want to do is type a letter to the chief. Dear chief, my handcuffs were last seen on a suspect running west. Didn't want to do that. So I'm sitting there just chasing after this guy as fast as I can. He has absolute, because he's in bondage, he can't run and steer and guide as effectively as he, as he would like. 
but he is just flying through the parking lot. And I mean, he is full speed. And I, I'm sitting there chasing him probably about 75 to 100 yards, and I'm going after this guy. And he's bob going through a parking lot. Keep in mind, it's dark, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he's bobbing and weaving. A bob is jumping from left to right. This is bobbing and weaving. He's going through this apartment complex, and he's bobbing and weaving. His hands are behind his back. I couldn't catch him, but I'm glad he bobbed when he should have weaved because he ran into a parked car. Goes end over end, and then I was able to dogpile him and get him in custody and everything. But the thing is this, when you're in bondage, you cannot, you cannot, you've got to have your arms to, to, to guide, to steer, to run straight. I can hang, anybody here, you could not run full speed to the end without falling down. You need your arms free to be able to run. You cannot run, you cannot do these things if you are shackled and you are in bondage. You were designed to be free. And when you're free, that's when you can run the race properly and be effective. On the next slide, if you'll sit back and say, I will tell you this. If you say you have a bad past or issues, I want you to understand this. Uh, you're in good company. One thing is about the Bible, the Bible is about real people that have real problems just like you and I today. The Bible, several thousand years old, but guess what? It's still relevant here in 2021 because we can all relate to it. All of these people here that you see written down in the Hall of Faith, and that's the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and basically it's kind of like who's who of the Bible. You look at all of these people and you see the the, the, the the things that they have accomplished. But I want you to understand is this is God uses ordinary people to do the extraordinary when they completely submit to him. And that's what these people did. When you sit there and you look at them, what do you see as, as far as with Noah? You know, all of these people had a, a past. You know, he delivered humanity from, from the flood. And you have Abraham. He was a great leader and a patriarch of Israel. Jacob was a father of 12 tribes of Israel, and he was a great patriarch. Moses delivered Israelites out of bondage. Aaron was a great priest of the Israelite nation. Rahab assisted in the military conquest of Jericho. Gideon was a great military leader and a judge and a deliverer. Samson was a great judge, leader, and deliverer. Jephthah was a great military deliverer. David was a great king. Solomon was a wise king. Jonah and Elijah were both prophets. Can I tell you something now? They all had passed. Noah was associated with drunkenness and substance abuse. Remember, he built the, he built the after he built the, the altar, what did he do? He built a wine press, and he made wine. Abraham, he passed off Sarah as his, as his sister to other people. Um, he doubted God's plan for, for his children. Uh, God said that you will be a father of great and mighty nations. So what did he and Sarah do? They cooked up a plan uh, with the handmaid Hagar, and they fathered Ishmael. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes. However, he was a swindler and a cheat, and he stole his inheritance and his birthright from his brother. Also, he deceived his father. Moses was a great deliverer out of the Israelites, had a bondage. However, he was full of doubt. When God called him to do something, he said, I can't do it. I'm not your man. He also murdered an Egyptian. He also had issues with pride and anger when he struck the rock. 
Aaron was deemed as a great priest. However, he was also weak-natured, and he gave the people wanted what they wanted. They wanted to worship a calf, and he, the golden calf, and he allowed them to do it. He basically contributed to the delinquency of, an, of a nation. Uh, he allowed them to, to get involved in drunkenness, sexual immorality, and adultery. Rahab, we know that she was a harlot. She had issues with sexual immorality. Gideon, um, he was also full of doubt. He wrestled with issues of cowardice early on in his life. However, God made a great and mighty military leader out of him. Samson, we see a man here who had issues with murder and sexual immorality. Jephthah was impulsive and he made foolish decisions in his, in his, in his early uh, life because of his vow that he had made and, uh, as far as whenever, after a victory, he said back, I will uh, sacrifice the first thing that I see coming out of my house. And what happened when he came home, it was his daughter. David, we know about his adultery, his doubt, his pride with the census, and the murder. And sometimes Solomon, uh, we associate him as being a man full of wisdom, but yet he compromised with, with pagan uh, and idolatry worship. Uh, he comp- well, all of his wives, he made a lot of foolish mistakes when it comes as far as um, with his passion. And as a result, he allowed some of the stuff to come in uh, to the nation, uh, which set the groundwork for problems. Jonah was a man that wrestled with hate and prejudice. Remember, he did not want to go to the Ninevites, and he was disobedient. Uh, Elijah had issues with cowardice, doubt, and fear. That's their past. That's their past. All these people, not making them up, it's in the book, folks. And the thing is, is we need to understand that each and every one of these people, they had issues with their past just like you and I have issues with our past. Every superman's got a kryptonite. We all have our various shortcomings and downfalls, but I want you to grasp this out of all of it. I just scratched the surface on the people in the Old Testament. I ain't even getting the New Testament. The thing is that I want you to understand is this. We are all fallen people. We have no right to cast stones and condemn another person. And the thing is, is when I listed off all the horrible sins that these people have done, guess what? If God can use those two people to do great and mighty things, we still serve the same God who can do great and mighty things to this very day. Okay? So always keep that very, very much in mind. Somewhere these people in their life decided that I'm gonna, I can't change my past, so I'm going to give it to God, and I can't go back and undo the things that happened, but I've got today, and maybe by the grace of God tomorrow, I'm going to give my today to God and I'm just going to follow him step by step, day by day. And as a result, we see that God used these people in mighty, mighty ways despite their past. In reference to your past, I want you to keep this very much in mind. Your past not, does not define who you are. Uh, just because you make mistakes does not mean that you are one. Uh, it's part of being human. We are going to stumble. We are going to fall. We are going to make mistakes. The people in the Hall of Faith that we looked at, um, they did not give up. They were running the race, and what did they do? They stayed focused as best as they possibly could upon serving the Lord, and they ran the race, and they put their past behind them, and they moved forward. And this last picture is this. This is the ultimate example that we need to keep uh, in mind. this is a second movie out of The Passion of the Christ. I cannot sit there and watch this movie without crying. If you, cannot, if you can sit there and watch this, um, it's, it's, it's a very moving. We need to be like Christ. Um, 
his mission in life is very, very simple. When we're talking about it as far as our past, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18, Christ is in the process of getting ready to start his earthly ministry. We talked about shackles and bondage and all of this thing here. Christ is in the process of just getting ready. He just came from the temptation in the wilderness. He's getting ready to start his earthly ministry. His whole purpose that he was sent to this earth, he is fixing to tell the reason why. I'm here, this is my job, and I'm fixing to start doing it. And Christ gets up and he speaks this. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, or in other words, freedom, to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, or freedom, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He came that we may have freedom from our past, our sins, freedom. When we have these things off of us, guess what? Life's a whole lot easier. Life's a whole lot more enjoyable. But the enemy wants to come out to steal and rob us of our joy because he knows that when we are unhappy and we don't have joy, we don't perform well for the kingdom of God. And Christ sits back and says, I've came that you may have freedom. I've come here that you can uh, uh, to free the oppressed and to free the captives from their shackles. Where are your past sins? Very easy. This is, this is probably hands down one of my favorite verses. Colossians chapter 2. Where is your past? Where is your past? Those things that you've done, those things that you've been involved in, where is your past? How was it handled? Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 says this. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having what? Having nailed it to the cross. It was taken care of. My past, your past, all of those people's past on the, on the Hall of Faith, where was it taken care of? At Calvary. At Calvary. All our sins taken care of. Past, present, and future sins. And one nice thing about it is you read on in verse 15. And when the enemy comes up to you and starts bringing up your past, all of the things that took place in, in your past, keep this very much in mind. Continue reading in verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers... In other words, having disarmed Satan and his demonic forces, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Basically, what happened was this. When Christ died on the cross, our sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, all of them, all of the sins that you saw those guys and, and, uh, on that hall of faith had committed, that had been involved in, they're all forgiven. They're all forgiven. All of the sins that we have been, they've all been taken care of um, at Calvary. And to put it, uh, it says it makes an open spectacle for, to, the, to the spiritual darkness. And basically what it is, public execution. Here he was, publicly displayed for the world. 
on that cross. And it says right here that he was, he was made an example. Basically, it's God saying, look right here. Their debts, their past is paid in full. It's paid in full. They are forgiven. And I like what it talks about in Psalms 102. It, it always talks about, in our sins, our past, he remembers no more. And our sins and our past are as removed as far as the east is from the west. And I want you to keep in mind, um, as we get ready to close, um, God has a plan and he has a purpose for each and every one of you here. I don't care if you're 8, 18, or 80. God has a plan and God has a purpose for you. Every one of you in here have a race to run. And the thing is this, we have our orders, and that's to keep our eyes focused upon Christ. Just like he's focused upon serving the Lord, that's not easy what he did for us. I mean, when you can sit there and you've seen the movie or just imagine just, I mean, being whipped and beaten and spit upon, he had a race to run. He focused upon serving the Lord, serving the Father, pleasing the Father. That was his, his purpose. And he didn't give up. He didn't quit. There are times when it does get rough running that race and staying focused because we live in a world of distractions. There's so many things out there that want us to get us to look over here or our past to get looking back up behind us. There's so many things that cause us to, to, to get us to take our eyes off our, our, what we're supposed to be doing. But Christ set the ultimate example. His eyes were focused forward and he didn't care what he, about anything else. He decided he stayed focused and he accomplished his job. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know what God has called you to do, but I always tell people this, you will never have peace until you have peace with God. And the thing is, if he's called a race, I don't know what he's called you to do, but you'll never be happy until you sit there and you break the chains, break the bondage, and just stay focused upon him and serving. If you have bondage and shackles and chains on you, it's because you went back and put them back on yourself because Scripture clearly tells you they're nailed to the cross. And, they, and God doesn't remember these sins. They're taken care of. I'd like for us just to stand for a moment. And as we come before our invitation time, this is your time. And I just ask you this. Shackles and bondage comes in the forms of many different forms. Every superman's got a kryptonite. Every superwoman's got a kryptonite. And the thing is this, I ask you, what is keeping you from running the race? What is distracting you? What is, it could be something at work. It could be something in your home life. It could be, I don't know. But I mean, it's 2021, and we've got an enemy that goes to great lengths to distract us off of our calling of serving Christ. And I will tell you this, there's no greater joy in serving Christ. And the enemy wants to rob you of your joy by distracting you, get you to take your eyes off forward looking at Christ. And he wants you to look back at your past or some other distraction to slow you down, to hinder you, to cause you grief, to steal you of your joy. Christ came that we may have an abundant life. Your past is forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Father, I come before you right now as we come before this invitation time, Lord. I just want to stop and say thank you for what you did for us on Calvary. Lord, help us to never forget that. Help us, Lord, just to celebrate Easter, not just one day of the year, but every day what you did, that you were, that you came that we may have freedom from our past and the shackles and the bondage and the chains of the sins of this world. 
Father, right now, I just ask that you just move in our midst. Lord, if there's somebody here that does not know you, if they're in bondage, if they just want some more, just someone to pray for them, encourage them, whatever it may be, Lord, that we're here. Father, it's 2021, and it is sure not easy living for you today. But Father, right now, I just ask you just give us all the endurance and the strength just to stay focused and just to keep running. And just like the passion of the Christ, Lord, you didn't give up. Help us, Father, also to have that grit that you displayed for us. Lord, I just ask you just speak to hearts tonight. Just move in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing, the prayer altars are open.